Now, if, if you uh, are like me and you've got a study Bible, the text that we're reading says something like Timothy's report, or mine says Timothy's encouraging report. And this is one of those texts that probably, if we're just being honest with each other, that as you're reading First Thessalonians, you kind of get to this and then you blow over it really fast because what's the relevance there? Uh, I mean, this is just news. This is just Timothy telling, or Paul telling the Thessalonian church what Timothy had said about them. And so we read that, and one of the things that this does is reminds us that this is an actual literal letter that Paul sat down and wrote a letter to some real-life people who were living in Thessalonica, and, and this is the letter because he's mentioning something that happened. Timothy had come uh, from uh, Athens where they were, gone to Thessalonica, seen how the people were doing, gone back and reported that information to Timothy. And so the text that Mark read, the first half of it is Paul simply saying, this is what he told me about you, I should be praying for you. And then the second portion of that text, uh, the portion that starts with the now, um, is where he actually prays for him. This is a, a recording of Paul's prayer for that Thessalonian church. And as I was looking at commentaries on this text, uh, I found very little information. I found that people blew over it. And it reminded me of, of, of a situation that occurred to me when we lived in, in, in I don't even remember where we lived. We, we've lived so many places. We were living somewhere, and we were doing Bible stu- a Bible study with people. We called it a Bible study, but we actually, up to that point, hadn't actually studied anything in the Bible. We had read a book by... Uh, uh, you know, if I start saying names, it's just going to offend people. Um, we had re- done a couple of Bible study books, right? You know, the books that, that somebody had written in the front of it was like, hey, how to, how to get uh, you know, excited for Jesus or whatever, whatever. And we'd gone through several of those books and we were talking about what the next book we were going to do. And so I literally, because if you haven't figured it out yet, I'm somewhat of a smart aleck. Uh, when it came my turn to speak, I said, why don't we do like Ephesians? Let's do a book like Romans. And um, the person who was leading it actually said, oh, do you know a good book that somebody has written about Romans? And I said, no, no, you're missing my point. Let's do Romans. Let's take the book of Romans that Paul wrote. And someone in the group literally said, how is that relevant to me today? And I would say, you know, okay, we can be super spiritual here. And, 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 and tisk tisk at that. But I think that, that some of us, uh, and some of the time, I will go, okay, what does this mean for me today? Because part of studying the Bible, Jeremy and I are, are learning how to study the Bible, and the, the question when I'm reading the Bible uh, that you always ask of any passage is, how does Tom Harrison's life change in the light of this text. In the light of what I just read, according to what God's Word just said, how do I change my life? And, and this is one of those texts that we read and we go, yeah, I don't know. Paul's just reporting some information. But I hope and pray this morning that as we dig down into it, as Paul is talking back to that church in Thessalonians, we're going to see some huge ways that this has an impact on our lives. So, 
Again, the structure of this text is, remember what we're coming through. If, you, if you're open to Thessalonians, you see that Paul started out. He's telling them about the, how, their faith. He's going through, in, in chapter 1, all that, that uh, they have gone through, reminding them how they met. Chapter 2, he's reminding them of their ministry. He's telling them, hey, remember, you're to follow me as I follow Jesus. In the first half of this book, Paul goes through a lot of information, a lot of I'm going to use a dirty word that's in the church, theology. He goes through a lot, a lot of this is why you do the things that you do. And then he gets into this text that we have today, and then he pivots. If you look at four, he's going to start telling them some specific things that they need to do. He's going to say, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. You abstain from sexual immortality, that even you know how to control his body. He's going to start telling them some things to do. And a lot of the Pauline epistles are that way. If you think about the things that Paul tells us to do, like the specific things that he says, this is how you're to live, they're almost always at the end of the book. Because Paul always in the beginning establishes the why we do something, and then he'll have a therefore or but now brothers, now concernings kind of thing. And then he pivots to why we do it. Now, I mean, now that what we do. And so if you look at those things like husbands love your wives as Jesus loved the church. Uh, employees, this is how you act. Uh, wives, this is how you act. Almost always those are going to be at the end after Paul's given us the theology that establishes why we do that. Because, and we'll see in glaring detail today that the goal of Christianity is not theistic behavioral modification. Now, that's, that's a big mouthful, but this is what that means. You need to act a certain way. Stop drinking, stop smoking, stop running around on your wife, stop, stop doing, and what you need to do is you need to go to church, you need to pay your bills. And you need to all do that and be a good fellow. And sometimes that's what we give the impression that Christianity is about. A list of rules. You know, we've laughed about that, right? That, that the, the rule list that we have is bad. We don't dance. I, when, when people ask me about my kids going to prom, I'm like, we, I'm, you're Baptist. You don't dance. So it's important that you don't cross your legs. Because until you cross your legs, it ain't dancing. It's just wiggling. If you're guys, when I grew up, you couldn't have long hair. Your hair couldn't touch your collar because Jesus didn't have long hair. And we, we have rules, right? And that's what you have to do to be, and I'm air quoting, a good Christian guy. Here's the problem with that. There's lots of religions that try to do behavior modification. I remember being in an Islamic culture and looking at people who five times a day leave their home, go to the church... They pray in a very physically painful, stylistic way, five times a day, 30 or 40 minutes out of their day. How many people do you think we would get here at church if we had church five times a day every day of the week? Probably not many. I'm just guessing that the Monday morning 5 a.m. service would be pretty lightly attended. So... Buddhist, I, I have been in Buddhist temples before where from little boys who are six or seven up until men who are 70 or 80 are sitting in a room and they're doing nothing but reading prayers out loud. That's all they do. 
They're monks. They wear these saffron, orangey-looking robes, and they don't have any money. They don't, they don't do anything but stand in this room and read these prayer chants. Their behavior, their life has been completely shifted by a religion. We suggest and we say out loud all the time that Christianity is not a religion, it's about a relationship. But then what we tell people all the time, the way to act Christian is, here's what you need to do. Here's your list. So you do this, 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 and this. Don't, don't we give that impression sometimes? And we do that by A, why well, he, he ain't acting right kind of statements, or by saying this statement. You know, I know he don't go to church or anything, but he's a good feller. And we act like that's enough. So as Paul is talking to Timothy, Timothy has gone from Athens to where they are. He comes back to them, and Paul is excited. He says, but now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us the good news, does he say, Timothy has brought us the good news of how you're acting. Timothy brought us the good news of how you kept your hair cut right. <laughs> Timothy brought us the good news of how y'all ain't drinking. Timothy's brought us the good news of how y'all ain't dancing. No dancing. No, Timothy has brought us the good news of your faith and love. And reported to us that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. The thing that Paul, when Timothy came back, said, tell me about this. Tell me what's going on. There are two things, and these aren't just haphazardly chosen. Paul's not just talking. The two things that Paul's looking for in their lives that he believes are going to impact them for eternity, two of them are faith and love. Now, I want us to kind of deconstruct that a little bit. Because we've talked a lot in here about how faith, we look at faith, and when we hear the word faith in our culture, we think that the word faith means believing something really, really, really hard. Right? Faith is that I convince myself that there's no doubt. I was, uh, Anne, as you know, it's gone, which means we're going to have some fun today. Um, and, and it's gone, and so... Friday night, we had date night. We went to the big fancy restaurant, Mikasitas. And then after that, we went home and watched uh, Rogue One. We watched the movie Rogue One. I don't know if you've seen it, but there's a scene in it where this guy is trying to walk from point A to point B. And walk, uh, the whole time, he's getting shot at by, by the, by the stormtroopers. I don't know why he's worried, because we all know stormtroopers can't hit nothing. But regardless, he's walking, and, and he, he says, I and the Force are one, the Force and I are one, or something along those lines. And he says this like a mantra, right? Over and over. He's saying, like a mantra, I and the Force are one. And, and he's walking, and the pew, 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 all the, the, the laser bullets, I don't know what you call them, the laser beams are all going all around him, kicking up dirt, and they're all missing him. And he's saying this mantra, I and the Force are one, the Force and I are one, I and the Force. Okay, that's what we think of when we think of faith. When we think of faith, in our hearts, what we think is, I do believe it, I do believe it, I do believe it, I do believe it. It's like a spiritual little engine that could. I do believe it. I'm not, I, don't, I have no doubt. I have no doubt. I have no doubt. And we try to conjure up in ourselves this belief. Now, we've looked at Hebrews chapter 11 before, so I want to mix it up and get crazy and look at Romans chapter, Romans chapter 4, and let's look at what faith is. In Romans chapter 4, Paul is, this is a text that Paul, uh, where he famously says uh, that Abraham's, he's quoting a verse from uh, Genesis 
uh, chapter 15, verse 6, that Abraham's faith is counted to him as righteousness. And Paul understands that this group of, of Roman readers, that would be a confusing thought to him. So he's trying to unpack that for them. So Romans chapter 4, I'm going to start reading. You don't, it'll be on the screen. You don't have to look it up. Um, Romans chapter 4, verse 13. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. Paul is saying the same thing that I was just saying, which is Abraham isn't the one that God chose to be the father of Israel because he did a bunch of good stuff. It wasn't because he obeyed the law. In fact, we know that there was no law yet. It hadn't been given to Moses. And it wasn't his good deeds that were counted to him as righteousness. That's not what the text says. It says his faith was counted. So we know the story of what happens. Abraham is, uh, thinks he's been, already been told before he left Ur that he was going to be the father of a great nation. And so he gets to like halfway there kind of thing, or more than halfway, but he gets into the land. God says, I'm going to send you a child. Abram is old, and so he says, I'm going to do God's plan my way, um, which is never a good idea. Just throwing that out there, that's for free. He has a son by another woman other than his wife. He thinks that's, that's the solution. We're still paying for that problem today. And then an angel comes to Abram and says... You're going to have a son. He goes, I know, I've got this son that with, from, with Hagar. And he said, no, you're going to have a son by your wife, and he's going to be the child of promise. And then the text says in Genesis 15, and Abraham believed, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Well, here's, and I've said before that I think that faith, I believe a good definition of faith is belief in action. You see, there are times, uh, I, I recently read a biography of, of a military guy, and he, he said that courage isn't the absence of fear, but still doing what you're supposed to do in the face of fear. And I would say faith isn't the absence of any doubt. It's believing that God's going to do what He said He's going to do, and acting a certain way, even though everything in you says there's no way this is going to work out. Everything in you says... Ah, no way! And yet you hunker down and you still obey and, and believe that God's going to do what He says He's going to do. Now, you notice how Paul frames this with faith and love. And in fact, at the end of the text, when he's praying, he'll tie those two together. And love is one of those things where it's very personal. We've also talked about how our culture lies to us that love is not that ushy-gushy feeling. We, we know that. Everybody in here who's been married more than about a year knows full well that those ushy-gushy feelings come and go. Uh, I love my children, but 3 o'clock in the morning when somebody wakes up throwing up, I do not feel any ushy-gushies. All of my children feel the need when they have an upset tummy and are throwing up to come into my bedroom to tell me. I don't know why... They don't just go to the bathroom, but they always walk into my room. Ah, Dad, I don't feel good. Or actually, they never say Dad. They always say, Mama, I don't feel good. 
if you knew you were going to throw up, why didn't you go to the bathroom? Why did you come into here? I don't feel good. Blah. Ah, get out. I don't feel warm fuzzies at that moment, right? And so I would say that love in that situation is not me going to my iPad and looking at pictures of them on their birthday. Love is me cleaning them up. Love is me helping them get back in the bed and get some sleep, even though I don't feel like it at all. This may be shocking information, but inside of the church, there are some people who aren't real lovable. I mean, I, I hate to burst your bubble if you think that everybody in the church is absolutely going hard after Jesus and that we're all working together to lead people to the Lord and that nobody could upset anybody. That's not reality. I, I actually heard somebody say uh, recently, if, if you are t- you know, you're, you're thinking about who's the guy who's the troublemaker in your group, if you can't identify him, it's probably you. So I will say that with saying, there are times when I'm not the most lovable. I know that's hard for you to believe. And I know Ann would argue against that. But there are times when I'm not very lovable. But we're still commanded to love each other. Now love, remember, isn't that warm, fuzzy feeling. Love is, and again, I'm going to use the, the Tom definition. The definition that I see in the Bible of love is caring more about the needs and wants of somebody else than I do my own. The Bible says, greater love has no man than this, than he laid down his life for somebody else. That I'm willing to sacrifice what I want for what they want. That's love. How many of you ever have had the conversation in your car? I hate this conversation. And since this is just us, and Anne's not here, I can say this. I hate it when we have the, where do you want to go? I don't care where you want to go. Well, let's go to Pizza Hut. No, I don't really want to go there. But you said you didn't care where you wanted to go. All right, well, let's go to, let's go to Taco Bell. No, I'm not really in the mood for that. Oh, my gosh. Where do you want to go? Just make a decision. And so finally, I almost invariably go, I'm driving my car to Pruitt's, and unless you object between now and there, that's where we're going. Love is caring more about what she wants to do than what I want to do. But there are times when you want what you want. Right? So how do you genuinely love somebody, especially in an environment like the church where you can just walk away, you can walk right out that door and they'll take you at another church in a heartbeat. Why do you invest in other people? Why do you love on other people? You have to have faith to do that. You have to say that I care more about their walk with Jesus, not even for their sake, but for Jesus' sake, than I do about what I want. I care more about them than I do about me. I care more about the fact that they're, they, that they're a little bit closer to Jesus because of today than they were yesterday. That's what real love is, and there's no way to do that. That's unnatural. Remember all that stuff Jesus said about love, your enemy, pray for those who do bad by you? That ain't natural. We can't do that on our own. The only way we can do that is if we have faith that Jesus, when he said all that stuff, knew what he was talking about. 
Because he said, what happens to people who do that? Do you remember Matthew chapter 5? Happy are the people who. So if I really want joy and happiness in my life, if I really want to be somebody that feels like I've done something worthwhile in my life, the way to do that, according to what Paul is saying here, according to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, the way to really get fulfillment is to pour into other people. And that feels wrong at times. And you know it does. There are times when inside of what you, what you think is, I have a right not to be treated like this. I have a right for them to respect me. Don't they know who I am? Don't they know what I've gone through? But if we believe that Jesus is going to do what he said he's going to do, I realize that fighting for my happiness and my joy is that even if they make me mad, even if I don't like them, I still love them and sacrifice for them. And that ultimately that's where I'm going to find my joy and my fulfillment. And so that's why Paul weds together the idea of faith and love. We have to have faith to really love. Because it's not natural. It doesn't, it, at times it feels like I should be fighting for what I want. I want to go to top of the river. We never get to go to the top of the river. I want to go to top of the river. How's that going to work out for you guys? How you figure? Not, not real well. In fact, Jesus said in John 13 about love, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. He didn't just stop there. How do we love one another? Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. Real love is unnatural. And people see it. They recognize it. They know it. Paul goes on to say, as he's talking about Timothy's report, he says, I see your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. So as Paul is going through beatings, as Paul is going through shipwrecks, as Paul is going through imprisonment, he says... For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. And that, my beloved, is what real love looks like. Amen. So often in the church, we get so... Because it's, it's a group of people. And we all are fighting for our ways. We're all fighting for what we want or what we think is best. But Paul is saying here that the reason why he lives is to see them standing in their faith. For now we live. And I will say this has convicted me. And I, I'm the pastor here. What is my focus on? Is my focus from day to day to day to make sure this room is full? Is my focus to make sure that you're giving enough to support all the ministries of the church? Is my focus enough? Is my focus to make sure that my career excels? Is my focus to make sure that we have a worshipful experience here? Is, what is it that I'm focused on? Because all those things that I just mentioned, I'm going to be disappointed. But if my focus is on making sure that when I come in contact with you, that your faith is growing in Jesus, 
I can have fulfillment there. That can be an awesome thing. I can do that. And I can do that in the Lord. And that's really convicted me this week. And Is that what I'm living for? Paul then goes on, he finishes this thought, and then he actually begins praying for them. He says, we we have not ceased to pray for you. We pray earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. And then in verse 11, he actually prays for them. Right right here, we have a Pauline prayer recorded. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. So he finishes that prayer, and then Paul, like a good Baptist preacher, says, finally, and then we have three or four more chapters. Notice as he's praying what he's asking for. And the two big things that jump out is, one, again, we're back to this idea of love that you increase in love. And then the second one is, so that he, why all this? So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness. Now, we want to make those two separate things. I do. I mean, I, as I'm outlining it, you've got to have a, an A and you've got to have a B, right? So A is love, B would be holiness. But I think if you look at what Jesus says in Matthew 22, you'll see that those are totally interwoven. In Matthew 22, we read this. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question to test him. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second one is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. We've all heard that. So I'm saying that in Paul's prayer, that if we try to divide love and holiness up as two separate things, that's a, the, the fancy terms of false dichotomy. That's fake. That's not real. Because if you're really loving the way you're supposed to, the holiness is going to come. And if you're being holy and walking the way God's commanded you to, the love is going to come. That's a cycle together. And Jesus explains that when he talks about the great commandment. When Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? He says, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That's some pretty heady stuff. I mean, that's pretty hard to do. In fact, it's impossible to do completely on this earth. And so, when I think about what I want to do, I was just talking with someone about, about pistols, and he was saying, hey, have you got any new toys? And I, I, we, we started talking about, uh, uh, on my 45, I got, a, got for my birthday last year, Ann got me a high beaver tail grip safety. Hey, that's some love right there from your wife, gentlemen. If you can get a high beaver tail grip safety from your wife, you know she really loves you. And I thoroughly enjoyed machining that thing down with a, with just, not machining, but, you know, filing it down and getting it fitting just the way I want to. And that, that was, made me feel fulfilled. Now, some of you may not even know what words I'm just using. I might as well be speaking Greek. But you've got something in your life that makes you just settle in. It may be cooking. It may be uh, working in the yard. It may, you've got something like that that just 
drives you. That's When you think of yourself, it's how you think of yourself. And what God is, Jesus is saying here is the thing that should define us, the thing that should be, the thing that we love the most more than anything is God. And it's finding our identity and our fulfillment in Him. And then every beat of my heart, Piper said it this way, every beat of my, the passions of my heart for something other than God is high treason. And so I can, I can work on that and I can say, God, and prayerfully I can say, God, I need you to change me. It's not natural for me to look at you that way. It's not natural for me to love you that way. It's not natural for me to long for you that way. God, give me that. And I can seek in God's Word and I can see examples and I can, I can read God's Word and feed on that and feel that part of me growing. And as I'm doing that, is that going to change my behavior? Is that going to change the way I act? And is it going to, if I'm doing two, let's say that we say don't murder. That's written down somewhere. You know, don't murder. If I'm angry at somebody and they've made me mad and I want to kill them and I just hate their guts and I don't kill them because I know if I do, I'm going to go to jail. Or... If somebody does something to make me mad and I think in my heart, you know what, that's a soul for whom Jesus died. And even though I don't like what they've done, I'm going to start praying for them and let God change my heart about them. In both cases, we've done this or haven't done the same thing, right? I I had a, a, a guy that I knew that when he preached, he would say, you know, Jesus said, if you hate somebody in your heart, you've committed murder. But if you have a choice between the two, please just hate me. Who does it hurt? I'm sorry, I'm not picking on you, brother. <laughs> if I have some, I'll pick on David because he, he, he'll tell me about it later. If I'm just, I just hate David and I'm mad at him and I can't stand him and I just wish I could kill him. Does that hurt him? It destroys me. And it changes the way that I act. I may not kill him, but that doesn't mean I'm going to be kind around him. It doesn't mean I'm going to be loving toward him. And so if I focus on that first great commandment, it's going to change the way that I live. Holiness is going to come naturally because as I read God's word, I'm not going to go get drunk with wine because A, the Bible tells me not to, and B, I want to spend that time growing in him instead of hanging out at a juke joint. So the two people who are doing it for different reasons Their outward behavior may look exactly the same. The difference is is one is is in my heart. I'm doing it because of my love for God. And the other I'm doing because I'm supposed to. Same thing with that love for other people. The second is like it. And that word that Jesus used there for like it, they're just the same. You can't say that you love God and hate your neighbor. It does not work. You're lying if you say you hate God and uh, love God and you hate your neighbor. That's why he said they're the same thing. If you love your neighbor as yourself, you're not going to rob from him. Do you ever rob from yourself? If you love your neighbor, you're not going to have adultery with his wife. If you love your neighbor, you're not going... All of the commandments just fall into place naturally if we're filled with love. Which is why Jesus said what we read before. Everybody's going to know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. 
So in this passage, Paul prays that they would increase in love so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness. Finally then, brothers, in 1 Thessalonians 4.1, Paul then goes into starting to break down, and we're going to take the next few weeks and look at exactly what that means to walk blameless and holy. But the thing that we have to learn today is, is our motivation for how our life changes isn't that we earn favor with God. One heart says, God, if I do these things, then you owe me heaven. The other attitude says, God, because of what you've done for me, I'm living a life for you. In both cases, the person may live and do the exact same things. In one case, that person will go to heaven to glorify God with all eternity. And in the other case, the person, if they think that they've earned their way to God by their actions, they will go to hell. We can't earn our way to God. It's not possible. And so as we come to a time of invitation, I want you to ask yourself, am I doing what I do for the Lord so that I can bribe the judge? So that I can get God to give me what I want? Or are you saying, God, I love you with my heart, my soul, my mind. And I don't always do what I'm supposed to, but God, I want you to change me so that I do. If you've never called on the name of the Lord and been saved, this altar is open. I would love nothing more than to show you how to make Jesus your Savior. If you're in this room now and you are a believer, but you aren't living it, if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if you're in this room and you're looking for a church family, I mean, the last three chapters of Thessalonians has laid out for us that you can't do this Christian walk on your own. Father God, Lord, I pray that you would apply your word to the hearts of your people. Lord, we thank you for this text. Lord, we thank you that you so inextricably tied together love and faith in this text. And so, Lord, I pray that we would have the faith to love you and to love our neighbor the way you called us to. In Jesus' name, amen.